is your podcast doing its job on this week's Always Listening? Welcome to Always Listening. We are your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay, and I want to go on a tangent, but Joel, I am a podcasting professional. I will not take us on that tangent right here at the beginning of the show. No, no. I will take us on this tangent at the end of today's show. Now, if you were a very intelligent podcast listener, you might skip to the end of the show to listen to the tangent that I'm going to go off on and then come back and listen to the whole show. But you shouldn't do that. You should just listen to the whole show and then get to the tangent. It's not going to be worth it. Trust me. You could even glance ahead at the chapter titles and perhaps there's a tease of what uh, the tangent might be on. Uh, But that's neither here nor there. We've got literally a truckload of podcasting news to get to today, Jay. And uh, and we do want to have time for your uh, tangent as well. So why don't we get right into it? Um, the title for today's show is a really interesting one, and that's the article that I'm most excited to get to. But we're going to start as we have not just recently, Jay, but it goes all the way back to the very beginning of our version of this show. Spotify has been central to it since we launched, and Spotify's quest to be number one continues this week. Uh, we've got some news from Pod News here as uh, they claim their listenership is up 200%. Wait a second. Now, remember, Joel, remember what I told you about when we get these types of reports and they use the percentages versus the actual numbers, right? Mm. Yeah, so 200%, oh my God, that sounds fantastic. Uh, James Cridlin, once again, doing Yeoman's work. And James and I have been going back and forth on some emails about a couple of things that he's had in his newsletter recently. That's for another time. Uh, But he notes here, just 16% of Spotify's monthly active users actually engage with podcasts. So while the listening is up 200%, Spotify has... A long ways to go to make the dent and the impact that they hope to on their listening app. Uh, The other interesting number that jumps out of the top of this, Jay, for me is 700,000 podcasts on the Spotify platform now is what they're claiming, which means they're uh, a little less than 200,000 behind Apple. But the interesting thing to think about there is how many of those 200,000 are actually shows that are effectively extinct where the feeds exist, but the producers aren't dealing with them. They're not. So they're, they're never going to submit that show to Spotify's directory, et cetera, et cetera. That, that's the thing that I, I feel like that 700,000 number makes us uh, or gives us a better idea of like, what is the total ecosystem? That's an interesting number to think about. Well, if about. you want to wait for Daniel J. Lewis's numbers till the end of the podcast, cover your ears, which would be hard since you have earbuds in them. Uh, it's 881,671 total valid podcasts, according to Daniel J. Lewis, in Apple. So there's a difference of 181,671. Yeah. 181k and and that's what i'm saying like you know daniel uses the number where he talks about active podcasts podcasts that have at least four episodes and have released one in the last 90 days kind of thing uh and and there's 200,000 and change or whatever that number is we'll get it to it later but i'm saying when we think about there are shows 
that still have value. Their producers are still behind them. They're still actively promoting them in some way or another, but they're not currently producing new content. This 700,000 number from Spotify, that is what I'm th looking now at like the ceiling for podcasting as far as like current shows. I feel like if you're not in Spotify, it's because you're not doing anything with your podcast right now. Why would you not be in Spotify? They're, the terms are amenable now. They're even doing pass through with most media hosts, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's no reason not to choose it unless you're just not actively working on your show at all. Or you, or you have some concerns, which I've highlighted in previous podcasts about, you know, Spotify's, way to do business i suppose that could also be another thing that's true Pod that's podcast true. one is still not in spotify i heard them talking about that on the most recent new media show you're right you're right um the interesting thing to me jay is even with all of this burst in podcast listening which we've talked about so much spotify means they're not spending any money every minute that you're listening to podcasts even with they're announcing 124 million paid subscribers premium subscribers even with those numbers they still slid back into the red. They're not. They're not profitable right now. Mm. Well, you know, just need, means more ads. They're coming, but I mean, before they make money, they've got to spend money, or at least that's what they're doing. Because they also purchased the Ringer, which was a rumor that we discussed about a few weeks ago. Uh, they made it official. What they haven't made official is how much they purchased the Ringer for. You and I speculated on what that number is, and there's been a lot of speculation in the trades. Uh, apparently, uh, Bill Simmons, uh, the former ESPN talent, whom I have worked with before in the past, uh, was in negotiations with uh, Turner about a year ago. They offered him $100 million and he turned it down. That's what the reports are. Uh, we mentioned uh, the 200 million number might sound something that's a little bit more enticing for Bill, but was he going, you know, we also mentioned that Bill has been extremely protective of his employees and wants to make sure that they are taken care of. And reportedly, this deal includes not just the audio, this includes everything that The Ringer is doing. Well, and from the quotes that I've read from Spotify's corporate, and of course they're not going to say otherwise right now as the deal closes, but uh, they're saying all the right things. They're excited about the blog content. They're excited about the video production content and don't want to slow it down. They, they want to reach into those areas as well. There's an article from Forbes that I've got linked in the show notes uh, from Zach O'Malley Greenberg that uh, the headline is Spotify's purchase of the ringer won't be cheap, but the payoff could be huge. Spotify is referring to the ringer as the new ESPN. And I think that is a little bit of an overstatement. That's a that was a pat on Bill's back. As soon as they well, said yes, Bill sure. was all oh yes. Shower me yes, yes. shower me. I've I've replaced the mothership with with a picture of my own face. Um but the ringer is and we've talked about what a great job that bill has done not just once or twice but multiple times now of creating a complete content army and the fact of the matter is that's rare in today's 
uh, market. The, the you know the ability for um, someone to produce content in multiple streams through multiple avenues that all has not just fans but rabid fans, right? And that's what Bill is able to do. Um, so I, and and I will say this with the Ringer, I think he has branched out more into pop culture and different areas of pop culture and diversified his presentation in a way that he never did with Grantland, never did with ESPN. So um, kudos. And I think Ringer made a big, I th- honestly, I think in some ways this is a better purchase than the Gimlet purchase, depending upon what the terms are, right? Depending upon how much money they spend, I can see more from Ringer overall and and what else Bill brings to the table and the the team that he's created. Well, we often go back to my internet boyfriend of Tom Webster and that keynote address he gave at Podcast Movement. And I know he's doing an opening keynote for Podcast Movement LA, which may or may not have happened depending on when you hear this particular podcast. And his whole thing has always been that highly polished piece of crap. Uh, as being what most people are going to listen to when it comes to podcasting. And sports is a great place that often goes unnoticed for whatever reason that brings huge numbers, Uh, not just ESPN. uh, And I know I say that as a former ESPN person and as a current sports executive producer for the Locked On Podcast Network, but The Ringer, Barstool, which we're going to talk about in a second, uh, SB Nation, fan sided. There are so many different sports uh, outlets out there. Turner, we mentioned Turner, um, that are bringing in huge numbers of people to listen to that content. The Ringer was right up there in terms of overall downloads, in terms of numbers that you're going to see. None of them were necessarily publicly available. Uh, based on my knowledge of what Bill was doing at ESPN, uh, I'm sure a large amount of that audience followed him to uh, to Grantland. I called it Grantland. The Ringer followed him to the Ringer, and I'm sure he's only grown it since he's left ESPN. So, uh, Bill Bill is a big deal uh, in sports podcasting for sure. He now has made a big deal in sports podcasting. It will be interesting to see. You know, you mentioned that uh, right now Spotify is saying all the right things about they're excited about all the different avenues. Voxnest was really excited about me for nine months, too. So just saying, you know, when 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 the money doesn't start showing up as it's expected, then things can quickly change with the person who acquired said piece of content. Well, and some of that may have to do with whether or not Bill stays around. The same thing that we talked about with Alex Bloomberg and Gimlet. You know, is he on his way out? Is he going to stay in the corporate structure of Spotify, et cetera, et cetera? Is he going to go do another thing and take his money and, and go enjoy his island? I mean, Bill Simmons isn't going to give up being a commentator and a podcaster and a writer. He's not. Nope. But he might take a big fat check and an NDA agreement for a year or two and go sit on the bench somewhere if he doesn't like the structure, you know, and then start a new thing. He's already done that a couple of times. He's someone so. that you can't muzzle either. Yeah, I mean, exactly. So if he's not, if he doesn't have the final say over the content of his programming, he's not going to stay quiet about it. And you're not going to be able to muzzle him about it. And ultimately, it'll be something where he will take his ball and walk away. 
And as we've said, he's had plenty of success rebuilding whatever it is that he's taking his ball and walking away from. The bigger point that I wanted to make with that story, particularly Jay, the the fact that the ringer finally was purchased by Spotify ties into the next story. And there's a link to this in the show notes as well. Uh, Barstool sports uh, was recently um, uh, sold effectively uh, to the Penn national gaming. It's a regional gambling operator. Um, it's an interesting deal. And you and I were talking about this before we started recording Jay. They technically haven't bought them yet. The, the deal means that the first thing is Penn National is going to buy a 36% stake in Barstool for $163 million in cash and stock, which values the total Barstool company at $450 million. And then three years from now, too, by the way. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Three years from now, the casino company is going to pay another $62 million to bring their total stake up to, six, to 50%, and then there's an option for them to buy out uh, total control and the amount will be determined at that time apparently why is this why does this matter for the average podcaster particularly the folks that listen to us i it occurred to me this week that i don't think podcasters think enough about our shows about our websites about our fan communities about our facebook groups as the assets that they are you and i jay are never going to sell a show or a network for the millions of dollars that Barstool has or that Bill will. However, it is entirely possible that we might sell a show eventually to someone. Just like any business or hobby that you start, you need to be realistic about the value that that hobby or business can provide. But you also don't need to write it off as zero. Just because it is a passion project for you doesn't mean that it has zero value. The the two I the two examples that pop up immediately for me, uh, and I don't know if she listens to the show, but I, I I don't think she'll mind me talking out of school. Brittany Felix, an editor friend of mine, started a show years ago called Living Unconventionally about the fact that she was traveling uh, on the road. Her and her husband were going to live in an RV for like a, a year, I think was their plan. I don't think they lasted the whole year in the end. He really likes to be in one place. But they started this show because of that. She got way into it, built up a great community, a, a good Facebook group, uh, a newsletter list, you know, the whole nine yards. And then, honestly, her passion for it waned, and the show kind of went into a hiatus period. A member of her community, somebody that was a listener, reaches out and says, I've got a business that kind of meshes well with the message of your show, and I love the content that you've been creating, but I see that you sort of put it on the shelf. I'd like to take this over and run with it. What would it be worth to you? And they came, I don't know the terms, but they came to terms. She sold her show, her Facebook group, her community, the whole nine yards, lock, stock, and key. He's got it now. And he's going on and producing new content, using that group, using that audience, giving them the content that they wanted in the first place, but also monetizing that that audience and that, and that listenership in some way, uh, that in a way that uh, Brittany wasn't directly. There was a value to her product. She had to de- she had to assess and decide what that was when she was sort of blindsided with the question of selling it off. But Jay, like one of the things that we talk about so much in this industry is pod fading. And I think to myself many times, you got a good show there. 
why let it pod fade? Why, why not find somebody in the community and pass it on in one way or another? And I think most of those would be handshake deals and no money would, would change place. Let's be honest. Most of us don't have anything where the value has, has uh, matriculated to a level where it's going to be worth real dollars changing hands. Oh, this show has some real some value. Some of us have. This show has real value. This show? Yeah. What are you, what yeah. would you, what, two what, cents. what dollar, what are you going to bid? <laughs> I'm going to give you two, two cents. cents. I'm going to give, give you my two cents, cents for this well, show. But look, we'll give you your two cents and my two cents. That's four at least. Oh, I nice. Think. We're almost for less nickel. than a nickel, you could own this. Oh, exactly. that's fantastic. But I mean, I think Not about like, uh, I, I think about Jonathan Oakes is an example we use a lot, Trivial Warfare. I guarantee you that Jonathan has a number in his head for what that show is worth. Now, Jonathan's not interested in selling it at this point to anybody, I don't think. But he's got a number in my in his head on what it would be worth if he was to take it to market, if he was to open up, you know, stock sales for it or something, go public, whatever. And and I think that more producers need to Think about it in that way. We talk all the time about running your show like a business, trying to be efficient in our use of time and our application of resources to our our projects and our hobbies and our, our side hustles. This is one example where I think we overlook it. I think we need to be thinking about our evaluations. And every time one of these companies is sold... Every single time that a company like uh, uh, Penn National puts an evaluation on Barstool Sports of $450 million, I got news for you, your and my evaluation goes up a little bit because the industry as a whole is being categorized and quantified and monetized in a way that it hadn't been previously. So uh, we, we talked about in the past how you know, Todd Cochran is worth more today than he was yesterday because these different companies are bought. That uh, Captivate.fm and Rebel Base Media is worth a little bit more today than it was yesterday. But that's true for your show and my show and all of us. The whole industry benefits from these sorts of valuations. And that's what I wanted to draw attention to today. And I don't think a lot of producers are thinking about that. So spend some time this weekend thinking about what your show is worth. I mean, the the Barstool one is is extremely interesting because to me, it's not a we're here to buy the company. We're here because we want your brand to promote our brand uh, almost in in the sense of a merger, if you will, the fact that it's valued at four fifty, this is where business people start getting funky, where they start using what I like to term creative accounting, because they only spent one hundred and sixty three million. Uh, they're only going to spend another sixty two to get fifty percent of the group. the The company itself, or at least this is what's in the report here in the link that you shared from Vox. Uh, the company generated between 90 and $100 million in revenue last year, with the majority coming from podcasts, merchandise sales, and gambling deals. So nowhere in there is there $450 million. That's not even close to 450 As a matter of fact, the churning group, which had originally purchased Barstool, because Barstool was a completely independent production under the uh, under David Portnoy there up in Boston the churning group purchased barstool for a controlling stake only 25 million dollars is what they put in and apparently that's 60% of the company and they did that back in 2016 so again people smarter than me that are going to do their creative accounting come up with this 450 million number 
I'm going. I'm here to tell you that I don't think Barstool is anywhere near worth 450 million. It's great that that's what's being reported, and and as you said, as valuations like this keep coming up, I mean, if Barstool is worth 450 million, then Spotify got a did highway robbery for Gimlet. That's for sure. Well, the interesting thing to me is. This one in particular, you're right, and I hadn't really considered it. It's more than just the media or the content. It's about the brand name and about extending a brand name into other avenues. This gambling company is going to use Barstool to brand casinos. Yep. And casinos are literally a license to print money. So so the, if, if the company says that the Barstool name is going to help us open a casino or make a 15% margin on, on this casino versus one without the Barstool name, then $450 million is probably, again, a great deal. And if Now, I will say, the 450 is easy to get to. If, if you take their 160 investment today and $60 million, you know, three years from now, that's 220 and change or whatever. They're, that's basically half of the 450. That's... That's where that 450 evaluation comes from. And then the other thing to think about there is, Jay, if they're throwing off $90 million in revenue a year, well, we're not going to stop doing business next year, right? Oh. So the idea is there, within four or five years, we could recoup our $450 million fairly easily. That's the concept, that, at least. That, that, that sounds almost like a transition, Joel. That sounds like you might be transitioning into where the business of podcasting is evolving to. Is it? Was that your intention, uh, or, or did it, that just happen? To, did you indeed. accidentally yeah. just fall into that one? I, you know, sometimes I'm just so good I don't even know uh, what I'm doing already. <laughs> it's, it's subconscious almost. It's just uh, second nature, really. Westwood One has been talking to ad buyers, Jay. How do we get more of that ad money? How does Barstool Sports turn ninety million a year into one hundred and ninety million a year? Uh, well, according to Westwood One, it's not going to be easy. <laughs> and this is a survey that they did with less than 100. It's like 95. Where's that number? They spoke with uh, 95 executives from all parts of the podcast ecosystem, uh, mainly uh, podcast sellers, advertisers, and agencies. Uh, and they asked them questions about the podcast industry and where it was going. And agency and brands, according to this Westwood One survey of less than 800 people, uh, have been giving poor marks on the current state of podcast measurement, though there is a sense that things are looking up. And so <laughs> uh, 64% and let's just and let's just pretend it's 100 because it makes these numbers even even better to look at. So 64 people said that podcast uh, measurement is fair at this particular point in time. Fair being on a four-point scale, number three. Excellent is one. Only five people said that podcast measurement is excellent. 12 people said that it's good. 64 said it was fair. And 19 people said that podcast measurement is poor. Uh, that said, compared to previous years, 43 of those people said that it's getting better, but 57 people said it's about the same. None said that it was getting worse. Well, that's a, I guess that's the positive to take out of this. It's not getting worse. But then again, if your feelings on podcast measurement were low, and we know from ad agencies it has been, it, I don't think it could get any worse. 
Yeah, I think that's their opinion, which which we've talked about this so many times. It could, in fact, get worse. We could be just guessing like radio and newspaper do, <laughs> right. but we're not. <laughs> you know, we do have some actual numbers that we can look at and track and, and, and speculate off of. Um, but I guess that's why we got to fair instead of poor, right? You know, I'm so glad you brought up newspapers because that's, uh, that's something I always hear. Well, just because somebody downloaded it doesn't mean that they listen to it. Well, just because somebody bought the paper or had it delivered to their house doesn't mean that they read it. Well, especially because if you look at circulation numbers, they add multiple members to every household. They assume that every paper sold is multiple readerships, which is just clearly not true anymore. Anyway, let's not go off. We're not experts. That's a tangent. That's not the tangent that I teased at the beginning of the show. Uh, this is a this was another interesting stack that came out of this survey. Podcasting needs to reach uh, needs to have a monthly reach of forty four percent to attain meaningful advertising investment. So where are we currently, Joel? I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, in twenty nineteen, the Infinite Dial from Edison Research reported that our monthly reach in podcasting is thirty two percent. We don't currently know what it is because Edison Research's 2020 Infinite Dial study will not be revealed until Thursday, March 19th of 2020, for which you can register right now. It is a free webinar, and I highly suggest that you do. Joel and I will be in attendance, at least online. They are having it in New York, and apparently they're doing a live thing. I don't think I'd be able to get the company to send me down for that. Uh, I would like to do that, but I don't think. Like I said, unless the company is going to send me, which I doubt they will, um, that's probably not going to happen. Uh, so we will be watching it and we'll be reporting on it, obviously, later on, uh, probably the Tuesday after that, whatever that happens to be as a date. Uh, so 32% is what they reported in 2019. 44% is what we need to get to. Joel, how close to that 44% number do you think Edison Research in partnership with Westwood One, how close will that 32% get to 44%? Well, I mean, they're saying, they're speculating that we'll be there by 2021. So I'm assuming we're going to be pretty darn close when the numbers come out for this year. I'm going to guess, I'm going to give you a number. I'm going to look into my, uh, and doing my creative accounting. I'm going to guess 40%. That is going to be what our new monthly reach is. Now, Honestly, 40% will be a huge, gigantic jump for podcasting at this particular point in time compared to the way that our growth has occurred year over year uh, in previous years. But I do feel like we are we are going to see that meteoric jump this year that's going to get because it's it happened last year. People were like, "Ooh, are we starting to see the beginning of the hockey stick? Because that's the thing, right? Everybody in in Silicon Valley, they always talk about the hockey stick. They're ready for the hockey stick. We're going to see the hockey stick. And, and and us old G's are like, listen, we've been here for 15 years. All right. There ain't no hockey stick. It's a slow, steady growth. There is. There is a hockey stick. But the hockey stick was laid down horizontally, Jay. No. Oh. It, 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 it spiked once and then it goes slightly up for a very, very, very long time. Mm. That's the hockey stick. Mm. Like we just, we laid it down, right? Gotcha. Like the, podcasting didn't exist, or it, well, it didn't exist at all. And then it did exist for a couple of years. When Apple noticed it, we got the the beginning of that hockey stick. We got the bottom, 
boop, and it jumped a huge blip. And then it leveled off. The growth leveled off, and it has been slow and steady ever since, and it will be slow and steady for many, many years into the future, which is why radio is worried, which is why television is a little worried, which is why all these big media companies are intrigued because they see the eventual number. The number someday for podcasting is huge. The number someday for podcasting is all of audio, basically. And that's the thing. That's a long way away still. But is it? Is it? Could could there be? It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy here, Mm. right? As more and more radio companies start jumping into the podcasting space and start understanding what's happening in the digital medium, you got to wonder if they will (laughs) self-prophesize, if they will just go so far into podcasting that they just start ignoring their brick-and-mortar studios and their terrestrial broadcast towers and just go all in on the digital and then all of a sudden kaboom the the hockey stick actually does happen because uh radio's just given up on being radio and they've gone in on audio i already saw james cridlin once again uh the great james cridlin uh was at radio days in europe and at the end of that particular conference there was a call that from this point forward, we have to eliminate the word radio and just call it audio. Now, that's for radio people to start embracing that. That is that's a big deal. It is. It is. But well, and, and I will say this, you know, the saying is that a watch pot never boils. I think sometimes when everybody in the industry is watching the pot, our body heat can make the damn thing boil, you know, because we're all hovered around it. So that might be what happens here. Um, what's funny is we haven't even made it to a billion yet, and they're already asking what's it going to take to get to two billion in podcast advertising, uh, which, of course, everyone's saying there's got to be better measurement, larger scale content, a big breakthrough in the content space, the same things we hear all the time uh westwood one very high on the dynamic ad insertion joel uh they are huge on it uh and it said and they say 55 percent of all ad orders are being done through dynamic ad insertion which i find very interesting because there has been such a hard pushback on dynamic ad insertion and i think it's mainly because of the lack of understanding that it's literally just describing a technology it's not describing the actual ads that are being inserted into the podcast any ad can be inserted in the podcast you could do a live read and use digital or dynamic ad insertion for a live read so that it still feels like it's part of the show and npr does this quite effectively and quite often uh so i would again Stop pushing back on dynamic ad insertion. It is a technology that can help you earn more revenue from your podcast. Well, and we only think about it, Jay, as a as a way to shove in, you know, new ads or a way to shove in, you know, the Geico ads and the Burger King ads, right. et cetera, et cetera. But it also is a way for producers to target listeners with specific information or offers based on their location or the time when they're downloading. So for instance, if you're a comedian and you've got a, a regular comedy podcast, you could change your dates that you give at the beginning of the show to be current whenever someone downloads the episode or to talk specifically about the next time you're going to be in their 
your local major metropolitan area, you know? The problem with that particular piece of technology is that it tends to be offered on the enterprise level. So the smaller podcaster, even... Now, Joe Rogan's big enough. Let's find somebody that's a little bit smaller but still has a large audience. Well, Jonathan Oaks. Let's bring up Jonathan Oaks. He's the perfect size for this. Uh, And that's not a weight joke. This is all about the fact that Jonathan has a large enough audience that he can command quite a large value, as we discussed at the beginning of the show, for his particular podcast. But he probably doesn't have enough money to... Uh, justify being an enterprise customer for a lot of these hosting platforms, which would give him access to that particular type of dynamic ad insertion tool where you can program your own ads into the dynamic ad insertion tool. Um, Something that is that those are tools that do exist. I know they exist because I helped work on them and they are available to bigger corporate clients who have the pocketbooks to pay for that particular piece of technology well i i do i only want to mention this company because it literally came up yesterday with a client as we were talking about this very thing jay uh as they're building out a network podcorn is one example of a specific technology offering that where a company or a, a service is trying to provide this without that huge um you know, I, I, you have to be on the pro level of our media hosting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there are companies out mm. there that are trying to innovate in that space and 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 provide an opportunity for smaller shows or, or smaller outlets to do it. And of course, look, it's not going to make sense for a lot of people either. If your show is so small, your audience is so small, dynamic ad insertion isn't going to do you any good anyway, necessarily. But there are many reasons and many different methods of using it that, as you said, don't have anything to do with oh, it's traditional radio ads in podcasting. There are lots of other reasons to use the technology of dynamically inserted ads. And if we're going to make more money, there's going to be more dynamically inserted ads. That's just true. Now, I don't remember if we actually did this story. I think we did because I don't see it on our sheet anywhere. The Oxford Road explained exactly how an ad buy works and what they mm. recommended a test ad buy would be. Yes, we did. We talked about our our ads over are your ads oversaturating podcasts. And yes. they and they had the recommended how much you should actually buy in a podcast and for how long. Westwood One shows that the most utilized podcast test buy is 105 ads on five podcasts over seven weeks. Um, and honestly, I don't remember what the Oxford Road came up with. For some reason, I feel like that's still small in comparison to what Oxford Road was Oxford suggesting. Road talked about nine impressions was the number that I remember there, that you needed to, that the... the um, the ideal number to begin to have good return was nine impressions. So they suggested you could do that either by going, um, you know, every other week or by stretching it out every fourth week or something like that, or third week is they had a couple of different plans, but it was about nine total impressions was the first time that you would begin to see your return. And they suggested that, I remember their creative accounting was something like 20% of your audience turns over. So while you lose 20% of a listening audience based on one episode in the next episode, you gain another 20% um, that are now listening. And that's sort of how they explain the best buys were the ones that happened in multiple back-to-back weeks rather than 
spreading them out as you suggested because ultimately if you spread it out uh, a campaign that ran all year but was every other week while it would actually run more ads delivered less impressions than the one that right all right good so uh, we're on we're on target there. Uh, the Westwood one does mention that running a podcast test with one ad a month is, as they term it, marketing malpractice. You're just not going to see any sort of return on on that sort of buy. Uh, I don't miss the metaphor they used, though. It, they said it's the equivalent of uh, sampling whether or not it's good to water your lawn by using a, a squirt gun. Mm, <laughs> mm. I would actually want to try that sometime <laughs> but uh the other thing is they actually evaluated <laughs> services uh amongst the frequent buyers and planners and what their awareness was and how they would uh rate the concept of that service and the highest rated service uh in terms of awareness is PodTrack. however PodTrack also received the highest number of poor marks for for the concept that PodTrack and the service that they provide, which is interesting because remember, the one thing that everybody hates about podcasting in regards to this particular survey is podcast measurement for which PodTrack is mostly providing. So maybe it's just that they don't like the PodTrack brand, but the other thing I wanted to note here is one of the services that received one of the highest marks in terms of being good and excellent uh, was brand lift services like Nielsen Audience Insights. And if you think about who these ad buyers have worked with the most over the years, even before podcasting was a thing, it's a company like Nielsen. Nielsen has no clue what podcasting is about. They're getting involved in it because it's audio. It fits under what they believe that they can measure, but they're the ones that are responsible for bringing us those equations that give you multiple readership in a in a subscription base and one vote in a diary counts for 10,000 people. That's what Nielsen brings to the table. Yeah. Well, what what they actually bring to the table, Jay, is uh respect among these big brands right burger right. king the ad buyer for burger king feels confident when he puts his money behind nielsen's numbers so does uh, you know the ad buyer for ge or whatever like that's what it that's what it's about it's about relationships and about um trust and about covering your butt honestly as a mid-level uh you know executive uh, I guess good news for companies like Chartable, Barometric, Leads Prescription, Analytic Owl, Pod Sites. Uh, apparently, all these places are planning on spending money with you. 42% said it's very likely. And by 42%, I mean 42 people said it's very likely. And 36 people said it's somewhat likely that they would. So, hey, good on you. You've got a good sales message. <laughs> I've slept on Chartable personally. I, I have totally slept on Chartable, but what has happened is they are providing statistics on the back end that are attractive and appealing to your average producer, and that is compelling enough to get a ton of people interested in using their service as far as like the stats tracking. And what that does is give Chartable the numbers 
and the research to then turn around and sell sell to these large uh, ad buyers and ad agencies. I mean, it is good on Chartable. They've 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 begun to carve out a real niche for themselves. The companies with the that are least likely to have people uh, come and buy their services are Edison, whom have been most linked to podcasting since the beginning, and I would I would directly attribute that to Tom Webster's. Uh, embrace of the podcast community and Triton Triton owned by uh, uh, Scripps Howard whom own uh, that listening app that's Stitcher and Stitcher yeah mid-roll and mid-roll and so you can see that perhaps there's a trust factor there because again you're talking about specific ad agencies why would they want to use one service versus another service? And that would be, I would say, Triton's relationship with Scripps Howard is the reason why most of those people would say, no, we're not going to buy that particular service. Yeah, and I don't know if that's good or bad, but it, that's, so, that, that is 100% giving you sort of the background and the insights as to why some of these companies do better than others. Chartable, Barometric, Leads, Prescription, Analytic Owl, Pod Sites, they're small-time companies. I mean, they're not huge in the very least. A lot of them are startups. Yeah. A lot of them, yeah. their business plan is to be acquired by Scripps Howard <laughs> or somebody else. Jay, let's talk about our final article here. Let's move on to this one because it's a good one, and I think we we're going to have a lot to discuss about it. Um, Dan Meisner uh, wrote this. It's from Pacific Content. Again, unfortunately, through Medium. <laughs> well, you know. At least they properly have their URL branded. I will say that. It looks like in my website, in my uh, Safari browser, it says blog.pacific-content.com, but they are, they are also using Medium. Shame on them. Um, jobs to be done for podcasts. That's the headline here. Uh, if you don't know, uh, there was a professor, Clayton Christensen, who passed away last month. Uh, he was very well known for his book, The Innovator's Dilemma. Uh, he had taught at Harvard Business School uh, and was uh, someone that was very tied with the theory of disruptive innovation. Um, now, the reason why I knew about Professor Christensen was uh, he's kind of the guru behind a writer that I follow for a website called Stratechery. It's a great website. Um, ben Thompson is the guy that writes it, and he he focuses, he lives in China, I think somewhere, and he focuses specifically on the idea of these small innovative companies coming in and from the bottom up, you know, disrupting and then eventually eating whole the giants of different industries. And I've learned a lot by his study and evaluation of um, these, these companies um, and the way that they're doing business. The interesting thing about this is Pacific Content and uh, Dan brings Professor Christensen's ideas on innovation and particularly that concept of jobs to be done. You know, we all have the, the Christensen's concept was we all have jobs to be done in our lives. Some are small, some are big, some are predict, uh, predictable, some are unpredictable. And yet when we buy a product, we essentially are hiring that product to do a job for us in our lives, to fulfill one of those jobs that we have to do. And so this article is taking that concept and applying it specifically to podcasting. What jobs are we hiring our podcasts for? And what job is your podcast specifically supposed to be doing for your audience? 
And is it doing that job efficiently and consistently and to the best of its ability? Now, I brought this I brought this gentleman up to you when he first passed away because there was an article in the Jacobs blog. Uh, and they had shared a very similar story and shared a video about him talking about milkshakes. Uh, and that this is a great metaphor to use. And I highly recommend you watch the video that's in the link uh, from Pacific Content of the professor talking about the job that milkshakes provide uh, for people um, that were buying milkshakes at McDonald's in the morning. And, and and he he lays it out in a very easy way to sort of understand this concept. And I brought it up to you because I said, you know, I'm fascinated by this particular story because it's not what I know. And there are a lot of people where, oh, well, this is second nature. I've known about this gentleman for years. I've I've lived and died by every word that he says. But I was brought up through radio, through the production side of things. So I was never really exposed to the marketing side of things or the sales side of things. And these were, these are concepts that I started being exposed to more and more as podcasting started growing. And I started realizing that the independent podcaster has to be all of these things. And then when I finally worked at blog talk radio, it was something that I had to quickly educate myself on. Uh, and again, it's one of those realizations where I don't know anything about this, but there are some people where this is literally, they live and breathe this stuff. Uh, just like I can live and breathe my way around a digital audio workstation and whip something up that sounds really cool and funky. These people can whip up a story about a milkshake and relate it to you and how it relates to your particular podcast. And so a lot of this too reminds me of how I sort of counsel podcasters to always play the why game. Why am I writing this title in this manner? Why am I producing the content in this manner? Why am I doing this? What will lead a new listener? Why would a new listener push play on my podcast? When you keep asking yourself that that why question, I like to call it the two-year-old game because the two-year-old will always ask you why, 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 why. You're going to get closer and closer to the meat and the reason why you're doing everything, and that will guide you in how you properly market your show. And this does it, I think, probably in an even more specific manner, the jobs to be done. It's the same concept. It's just putting it in sort of a, you know, what are the jobs to be done for your audience? just ask yourself that question. Uh, what made existing listeners hire my show? Somebody's listening to your show. They've hired your show to do a job for them. What is that reason? Do you know what that reason is? If you don't, you need to find the answer to that reason. Uh, what's keeping them from hiring my podcast? Why is somebody out there who should be interested in your podcast? Why are they not hiring you for the job? What is it? that you're not doing to attract that person to your content. What other products could they hire to do that job? And don't forget about non-media products. And I think this is a key point that we'll take a quick pause and have a back and forth here with Joel, because it's not just podcasts you're competing against. Well, the, the great example in the final paragraph of uh, Pacific Contents article, they, they give three. They said, in other words, why might somebody hire Sleep With Me instead of a melatonin tablet for the job of help me fall asleep. 
Why might somebody hire Hello from the Magic Tavern instead of a novel or a tropical vacation for the job of Escape? Why might somebody hire the TED Radio Hour instead of attending a lecture or enrolling in a continuing education class for the job of Learn New Things? Okay, here's an example for me, Jay. I've found myself recently watching more and more YouTube videos. Why? Why am I entertaining entertaining myself and and educating myself with more YouTube videos in the past, let's say, month, month and a half than podcasts? Because I've been looking for new content. I've been looking for some topics and some producers that I haven't already been following. And honestly, YouTube makes it easier with their algorithm. I go to their main page. I go to that home page. It knows everything that I've ever watched, how long I watched it for, and whether I clicked away on it or not, or whether I liked the video or not. And because of that, they serve me things that I'm subscribed to and things that I'm not subscribed to, topics that I've already watched, topics that are similar to ones that I've watched, topics that other people that watch topics like I watch have eventually watched. And all of those things bring me content that I can't get from a podcast app. Now, could I find the same content in my podcast app? Yes, but I don't even know what I'm looking for sometimes. Here, here's one. I've been watching a bunch of videos on the history of the early Christian church. But like, I didn't know that I was looking for that until they offered me a video with an attractive thumbnail and an interesting title and showed me how long the video was right, right there in the thumbnail. I can see, oh, it's seven minutes long. Here's the title. It's very compelling. It's got an interesting little cartoon thumbnail. I'm going to click on that. YouTube is marketing better at serving these or, or at fulfilling these jobs at doing these jobs for me than podcasting is right now. And so YouTube's been winning for me for the past month or so. Uh, how can my podcast use the unique properties of audio to compete against these other products? Mm. What can you do that is unique that only you can do with audio that a YouTube video cannot, that a pill cannot? So the TED Radio Hour is a good example of that. I was I was watching, I had watched several of these TED Ed videos, really cool little cartoon videos about these different topics. I was watching one series in particular that was about the rise and fall of the the Byzantine uh, uh, church, basically like the, the split of the Catholic church into the uh, Western and Eastern Greek Orthodox versions of itself. Um, but I also needed to run some errands. I needed to leave the house. And it was like, well, I can't throw my phone over there and just let the YouTube video play while I'm listening to it in my AirPod. Or I could just go, I mean, there's a podcast for these things, right? I could get these same topics in the TED podcast. So I searched my directory. I found the topic that I was listening to, a longer form audio version, clicked, you know, load. And I started playing that as I walked out of the house. So in that moment, it did the job better for me. It, it won over because of my particular circumstances. And that was a uh, advantage of audio in that moment that beat its other competitors. And if you can answer this for yourself, what jobs do you hire podcasts to do? You'll probably find the answers that you need to provide the content to other people to hire your podcast for them. What, what do you hire podcasts to do, Jay? Why do you listen to podcasts? I mean, I know first we're both broken on this question because part of why we listen right. to podcasts is because it's our business. 
but the ones that I listen to for myself, the ones that I don't listen to because it's my job, but the ones that I listen to that are for myself are mostly for entertainment, mostly to give me a place to explore many of the thoughts that I have that I don't have immediate friends or family that I can explore these things with. If I sit down and try and talk about the strategy of the game of Survivor with my wife, uh, she's going to look at me side-eyed and be like, you spend way too much time thinking about these sorts of crazy ideas. And then I'll be like, well, you know who doesn't think I spend too much time with that? Rob has a podcast. who's turning 10 years old, by the way, uh, this this week. Congratulations to you, wow. Mr. Rob Sesternino. Um so yeah, I mean that's that that I'm I'm using it as as the place that I get fulfillment from the things that I can't share with my children. Like my kids don't care about the strategy of Survivor. My kids certainly, I mean they're starting to question, <laughs> and and this is one of those difficult concepts. Okay, um, uh, politics. So like my my 16 year old son is starting to become a little bit more politically aware, and he's in a public school system. And I'll just leave it at that. Uh, and I just, you know, for me, the No Agenda podcast, I sort of get a better, and it's I'm not listening to No Agenda for the politics that Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak necessarily preach. I listen to that show to give me a different perspective, to give me the middle perspective of what is left and right, because the middle is almost always where the real answer is. And I think that's something that is missing on this community and why I am announcing. No, I'm not. I'm just, I was, I felt like I was going down that road and I needed to make that joke. I don't think it, the, I don't think it hit. No, I, I, I appreciate Hey, look, honestly, uh, uh, cold ham sandwich, uh, would be, uh, an intriguing candidate for me at this point over some of the, uh, current of options. Um, uh, I've got my favorites, so we'll leave it at that. Jay, I, me personally, I find that I am uh, one of these the lower options here um, in the. If you go back and look at the podcast consumer data that's in this specific content article, the last one is for companionship. They say twenty four percent say that they listen to podcasts for companionship. I think I do that some. I think particularly about uh, one of the shows that I listen to religiously. I mean, the moment that it comes out, basically every week, I click play on it, and that's the Accidental Tech Podcast with Marco Armit and John Syracuse and Casey Liss. Sometimes, in particular, Casey Liss infuriates me. I mean, he really drives me batty. I love the other two, but why do I listen to that show? It's because I feel like they're friends, and I like hanging out with them. Um, and I like those t kinds of personalities and I don't have those kinds of personalities in my day-to-day -day life. I think that's a, a real reason more than their tech discussion, more than the, especially those three guys, they get deep into the weeds sometimes on developer stuff. I'm never going to develop an application. I don't think that's never going to be a thing that I build. And yet I still like their conversation and I'm still adamant about getting that show right away. Why? I think it is for the companionship. And I think sometimes we need to consider that for our audience as well. I know for a fact there are people that come back and listen to this show versus other shows about the podcasting industry or about news topics in our medium, et cetera, et cetera, because they like you, because they like me. They like to hang out with us for a few minutes a week and, and get that you know sense of being in the room. 
talking about the things that they have an interest in that other people in their lives aren't as excited about. Just as you said, Jay, it's, it's a combination of that. So think about the jobs that you hire podcasts to do. And then think about the jobs that your listeners are hiring your podcast to do specifically. And are you doing it? Is your podcast doing its job? I think when our shows fail, when they begin to fall apart, when we lose interest, when, when we, you know, come loose, I think a lot of times it's because we've been failing to do the job that we've been hired to do. And we're just not paying attention to that. Uh, I, I had that moment with the show that I'm wearing the t-shirt for, which is next fan up. Uh, you know, I, that we've come to the end of a season and as I reevaluate sort of the content that we put out there, the reason why we were doing the next fan up show was to provide deeper insights that you weren't getting elsewhere, sort of similar to what we do on this show, quite honestly, is to provide that proper perspective that you don't get from listening to ESPN or from watching a Fox show or, you know, any of their sports outlet that's out there. We're looking to provide that outlet to give the deeper type of information that you could read in a blog or check out on a website, but wasn't being broadcasted anywhere. And quite honestly, last season, we fell into that trap of, well, our shows are too long. We need to be shorter. What can we cut? And as you start cutting things, you start realizing you're cutting the stuff that we're doing the podcast for. We So we were sounding exactly the same as every other podcast that exists in sports today. There was nothing unique about what we were doing other than our voice and the proposition of, well, you're getting the perspective of 32 different people, but you really weren't because you were only hearing from the same people week to week because we just couldn't get everybody to get on the same recording schedule. And and that was something that I went, well, this, this has got to change. This is not... This is not what we started doing this podcast for, and there will be a major content shift in the way that we go forth with the Next Fan Up podcast, because ultimately, for me, I just enjoy talking football with those guys, and that's pretty much probably how the evolution of the show is going to go. It's not going to be, all right, here are my picks, here are the games, let's talk about the matchups. It's going to be more about, dude, this happened in football and this affected me this way. How did it affect you? We're going to talk about our feelings. We're gonna get, we're gonna get deep into our feelings. Paint a nice brushy tree. Look at that little happy tree, smiling tree, it's smiling at you. Did I go to a place that I wasn't supposed to go? I don't know. <laughs> no, no, you were you were just fine. Anytime you bring in uh, uh, the the uh, the big furry one, I'm I'm fine with that too. My thing is, I again, I think, you know, it goes back to the question that you said, why. You know, you're, you're asking your why. What, why are you doing this in the first place? What is it all really for? And then the other question that we have to ask is, why is anyone listening to it? When we ask that question, when we really consider these, what are the jobs that your podcast is doing? I think we can create better content, which is going to cycle back to all that stuff that we talked about before, Jay. It's going to raise your valuation. I mean, honestly, if we're considering this as an asset, if you're doing more jobs for your audience and you're doing those jobs more efficiently and more effectively and more consistently than your show and everything that comes along with it's going to be worth more than it was yesterday. 
Joel, Daniel J. Lewis's numbers are larger. We already told you what the total number of valid podcasts are in the Apple Podcast app. I did a quick count over the last seven days. He, I don't know why he doesn't provide this. He provides the nice chart of the last seven days. But there have been a lot of new podcasts, over 16,000 of them in the last seven days. And that happened with no new podcasts added on Friday, Sunday, or Monday of the previous week. Uh, quite interesting. Uh, that's four hmm. days, four days of additions, 16,000 plus new podcasts. That's, that's very interesting. And, and, uh, and, and they had a big addition on a Saturday, which is not typical for Apple. Apple typically doesn't add any on the weekends. Um, yeah, that's, that's been, uh, very different considered to, um, concerning what we've experience so far while we've been watching these numbers again this is what i'm talking about when i say the individual any any individual's weeks numbers maybe are only as interesting as you know you want to consider them but to track it over time i think is a very compelling thing i'm so excited that daniel has started doing this by the way and i'm looking forward to someone doing the same thing for spotify's directory i don't know how possible that's going to be i know apple's has got an api that's been public for a long time so it's easy enough for daniel to build the software to troll and and you know calculate these numbers somebody ought to be talking to spotify about the same thing though too please that was all I had on Daniel's numbers. I don't know if you wanted to dive into any of this. No, there's numbers. nothing in there particularly after that that's that's particularly interesting. Again, I think it's tracking it over time that's the more compelling thing. Uh, and you can do that by listening to our show every week. We're going to bring you those numbers uh, weekly here uh, on Always Listening. Jay, if somebody is listening to this show and... Well, first of all, no, wait. Yes, I have a tangent. We have time for a tangent. <laughs> Uh, we probably don't have time for a tangent, but you're going to get it anyway because we promised it. Uh, this is uh, very relevant because there is a uh, there is a company that has used podcasting as their primary advertising source for a number of years. Uh, and it's a service that my wife and I use quite frequently. And I'm not going to say the name of the company. Um because there are competitors that have used this, but it is one of those food service companies that are out there. And uh, I've heard, you know, rumblings from other people that they've had some issues with their deliveries on a frequent basis from this particular company. And uh, the wife and I, Benet and I, have, have enjoyed our service. And uh, as we are losing weight, we're actually using the service because it gives us good portion control. It lets us know exactly how much food we can eat. We're only preparing as much as we can eat for that particular meal. And the calorie count, uh, we're keeping below 800 as best as we possibly can. So it's helping us on our diets as we continue to lose weight. And uh, the delivery didn't come. Uh, yesterday as it's supposed to and we're like oh well that's not supposed to happen and my wife by the way <laughs> you you do not cross my wife if you promise a service and and it is not delivered uh, and you get the call and it says benet soderberg <laughs> run run for the hills um and so my wife was my wife was going into it cool, calm, and collected. She typically starts that way, and the uh, customer service person for this particular food service company was extremely. I would say, Joel. I dare say she was overly happy. Hello, hi. Thanks for calling. Oh, I'm so sorry. Let me fix that. What can I do to help you? Well, I'm going to credit you for that for for this particular box, and um, so sorry for that. 
And uh, as my wife got to thinking about this, she's like, I need uh, that. That was fine, but I need more. I need to know why I didn't get this box. And so she found the, the number of the delivery company and she called the delivery company. Now, this gentleman, the customer service gentleman for the delivery company, I dare say, Joel, was the exact opposite of the food service company. He was not very happy to be on the phone with my wife. And he was um, very blunt and, uh, I dare say, almost angry that my wife dare call him about this particular problem. And, and mentioned that, well, with food... Uh, the uh, deliverer uh, has up to 48 hours to deliver uh, to deliver a food package, and it just happened that his shift ended and he wasn't able to deliver your food. Well, I dare say, sir, your, your, your service is not working properly because if the shift ended and all deliveries weren't sent, then that man's shift is not long enough, or perhaps you've given him too many deliveries. Uh, in any case, that did not... I mean, that wasn't necessarily rectifying the problem, but my wife slept on it and she woke up in the morning and she went, you know, it's very kind of the of the food place to uh, refund us for a box that was never delivered. But they didn't really pay me for my inconvenience. You know, we're getting three meals a week that I now have to go to the grocery store to purchase food for us because I, my plan for the week were these three meals plus whatever leftovers we happen to have in the house. And now it's the leftovers aren't going to be enough to, to fill those three days. So now I, I, and so she reached back out to the, to the food company. And I dare say the food company said, uh, we agree with you. Uh, and and we see that you are a regular customer and we want to make sure that you remain a regular customer with us. And so here's another credit for another week's box of food. And my wife said, thank you very much. Why am I telling you this story other than because I enjoy telling stories about my wife making sure that she gets the service that she pays for? Uh, it, it's more along the lines of, this particular company, this particular food service company, is now has a negative, a black mark on their service, not because of anything that they did, but because of a third-party service that they happened to use uh, in delivering their particular product. And it's another one of those things when you're talking about your own podcast. You might not do anything wrong, but there might be somebody related to your podcast in some way. Maybe they were a guest on your show. Maybe they're a big fan of your show that they will go out and they will do something and it will negatively impact you. And it's just one of those things where you have to be cautious about whom you, you tend to get in business with. Maybe you're part of a network and there's another show that's part of the network that they ha they've gone and they've said some things that, mm, you know, you probably don't want to be associated with. Uh, you need to remove that particular black mark as best you can. I would just tell this particular food service company, uh, the delivery service you're using is whack. Get rid of it. The other thing is if you're in customer service, like I'm not saying you have to be the hi how are you oh i'm so sorry like don't go overboard you don't have to be overboard but you don't answer and be like yeah that's tough cannolis lady 
I got 48 hours to deliver your food. Just hang up the phone and be happy with it. Like, like don't be that guy. Like, if you're in customer service, like, you got to have, you, you got to be a little bit happier. You got to deal with people a little bit better than that. Anyway, that's my tangent. Uh, that's a pretty good tangent. And I got to tell you, I'm going to use Benet for any of my future customer service uh, issues. Oh. I'm just going to get her on the horn. I, I Listen, I have I have told my wife that there are a couple of things that she can be doing right now to help improve our quality of life. And if she really wanted to make a business out of what she does, she can. We've talked about she could be a personal assistant to the common man. And she would be the person that would call the cable company and be like, yeah, your service sucks. And quite honestly, the other guy has been calling me. Oh, have they? Well, let me tell you about our latest deal. Okay, thank you very much. Oh, my wife is the queen of doing that. Apparently, that's not working as much anymore, though, because everybody's cutting the cord. So the cable company's like, go, go ahead and go to the other guy. <laughs> See how long that'll last you. Um, so just be aware that uh, that won't work. But my wife, my wife, you know those long, if you go to uh, the CVS and you get those long coupons with you know on the end of your receipt yeah, 18 and you're like, feet long you're, receipts you're like oh my god you just killed the rainforest well my wife is making up for it just so you know she's taking all those coupons and she goes and she'll be the one that like i went to cvs i didn't spend a dime and here's 50 dollars worth of merchandise that uh some of it yeah we need to use some of it was probably like well it was on sale so i got it um but she's like part of the she's like the like 0.5% of all savers in the state of Connecticut at CVS. So yeah, my wife is pretty good. Um, well, Jay, if we're not worried about couponing, but no. we are worried about growing our uh, sports podcast, particularly college sports, football and basketball, and they might want to reach out to somebody that's uh, got an in with a network no. in that uh, field, who might they reach out to? I think I know a guy. Oh, that's me. That's me. Oh, oh yes. Uh, Podvader at LockedOnPodcasts.com, at the real Podvader on Twitter. Uh, super excited because um, we, we do have conference coverage now. Uh, not only does Locked On Podcast provide your team every day, but we're going to provide your conference every day. And uh, all but one of the Power Five conferences currently has a podcast. And I do believe the one remaining uh, will be filled probably by the time you hear this podcast, I'm probably going to have somebody for that. So uh, super excited that the Power Five conferences will have some sort of representation going into the March Madness tournament. But that doesn't mean that we have a podcast for your team. And if you are interested and you see that there's a team that we don't currently have coverage for, uh, reach out to me. I would love to talk to you. And you can find me if you're interested in growing your podcast uh, elsewise, or if you're particularly looking for some help uh, for ongoing production. You can find me at propodcastingservices.com or at joelsharpton.com. Either one works. And my email is joel at propodcastingservices. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter all the time at podcasting underscore pro uh, or at The Rogue's Life if you want to hear about uh, basketball and politics, too. Uh, lots of politics right now. It is an election year after all. <laughs> all right, Jay. Until the next time that we talk to them, uh, let's try to make sure that our podcast is doing its job. Uh, we've been your hosts. I'm Joel. Would podcasters have screwed up the Iowa caucuses? Who knows? I'm Jay. <laughs> and we are always listening. Yeah, I know I ain't seen it all. 
Always Listening is a proud member of the Two Guys and a Rogue Network. You can find all of our past episodes, including more than 100 podcast reviews, at alwayslisteningpod.com. In Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. For help on your podcast, visit propodcastingservices.com. Our theme song is Enough from Bethany Rayburn. Two guys and a rogue. I'm one guy. I'm the other. And this is The Network.